Hi, this is Ben. Uh, just a quick note that on Sunday the 25th of October we'll be doing a live Q&A with the GCT crew on YouTube. Should be about 8.30 in the evening UK time. I'm sure there'll be some sort of technical difficulty or other which means that we start a little bit later but we're actually going to try and get out ahead of any of those by uh, meeting early this time. We're going to mostly talk to them about the Brotherhood release and the winners models that form part of the same release wave. We'll also be taking questions, so if you send your question to robotdiceexplosion at gmail.com with the subject line questions, and we will almost certainly read it out. So yeah, on with the show. the Robot Dice Explosion podcast. I'm Ben. I'm Ollie. Today uh, we're going to talk about list building in Bushido. Yes. Sort of a generic how we might approach it um, or how you might want to approach it even if it's not the way that we do it. Yeah we I was going to say this is mostly inspired by us missing an implication of uh, Guild Ball dying last time we talked about that. Yeah so uh, for anyone who I don't know. I mean, if, if you're over on the Discord, the Bushido Discord, and I think that's probably the most active community now because Gilball is pretty big on Discord. And since Steamforge uh, took it round the back of the barn and shot mm. it in the head, uh, people have been moving to Bushido. And I'm really interested in talking to a couple of them and finding out, you know, why and why, how? which I can understand. I, I can guess, but having only played a little bit of Gilball. And talking about how I'm now maybe going to take my blacksmiths out of their boxes and paint them up and play yeah. some Guild Ball. Well, I mean, we um, do love a dead game. Love a dead game. <laughs> uh, love a static meta. Yes. Uh, so I, ju- I just thought it was interesting that neither of us thought of the fact that the people who played it might want to play other games. So GCT, uh, we have a Slack um, where we discuss some stuff. Mm. Um, People who don't know what Slack is, it's like Discord, but for teams, um, for you know, uh, businesses and so it's more, yeah, it's more, it's more business focused. Yeah, and uh, I did start typing out a, a message saying, hey, what do people think the implications of Guild Ball dying might be mm. for Bushido? Uh, thinking like, oh yeah, there might be a few people that come this way, yeah. and uh, you know, how can we sort of react to that, make that transition easy? Um, and then I, I, I sort of got halfway through writing it, and I, I imagine I needed to do a parent thing or something and, and, and then just sort of forgot about it and then the discord just blew up at some point mm. uh, there's been lots of activity on the Facebook group as well yes definitely more there as well um, it, yeah I, I'm excited to see what happens mm. um, but yeah so I think with so many new people coming into the game you thought it would be a really good idea to do a list like how do we approach list building yeah because it's not. I mean, it's not hugely different from what you might be used to from a bunch of other games, but there definitely are unique things to consider when you are planning Bushido. Yeah. So we're going to talk about it um, just just sort of generically, not really focusing in on factions right now. Um, that not... that should come, but this is just here's things to consider overall. Yeah. I mean, this could easily go an hour and a half anyway on its own. So we'll see. But, yeah. Um, and we're not going to do it from the point of view of someone coming from Guild Ball. We're just going to do it sort of generic approach, I think. We might you know, have opinions halfway through, but neither of us play enough Guild Ball to really 
go like, here's the differences. No, yeah. this is more uh, just sort of a things to think about. And I'll take on those things. Yeah. So, um, where to start? So, you've, you've written a little list. I yeah. have, as always, done basically no homework. Um, <laughs> so, we want to talk about, some, first of all, like, what's the purpose of the list? Why are yeah. you building it? What event are you building it for? Yes. And event could be, obviously, a tournament. But it could also just be, I'm playing a friend. Yeah, I'm playing a friendly game down the club. Or the, the sort of third skew is I'm doing a demo. I'm, yes. I'm introducing someone else, so I need to write two lists. Uh, yes. Generally. Or you might speak to your, your your potential recruit or victim and say, <laughs> you know, what are you interested in? You know, we can proxy yeah. or I might have the models. Um, but you still need to be thinking about how their list is, is balanced in a way. Yes. And I think the demo thing is <clears throat> quite separate from anything else because... Most of the things you would think about in the other two types of lists all of doesn't apply. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's more about a fun showcase. Yeah, and I think so. I mean, demo lists. Uh, you normally talking. I'm, I'm going to skip right ahead to. Uh, <laughs> that's my son in the background. I don't know if that's being picked up. <laughs> yeah, it's his bedtime. Uh, so. Yes, skip right ahead to rice value a little mm. bit because a demo you're probably going to be running around about 70 rice. Probably. Where um, that's basically what ha- what you get in a starter box. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're, it's mo- I mean, demo lists mostly are probably going to be starter boxes. Because Quite often, yeah. That's easy and it works. The other way you can go is do the two player starter set. Um, so you've got Ito and Prefect. Yes. That's a good way. Um, I can't remember how many rice that comes in at. Less. Yeah. Two models less, so... It's probably around 50. Probably around 50. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it is exactly 50. Uh, so, with, if you talk about tournament games, you're basically doing 100 rice, yes. aren't you? Uh, friendly games will probably be around 100 or 70. Yes. Um, I mean, there's nothing stopping you from running a 70 rice tournament. No, absolutely. In fact, the Daimyo of the South, which is a tournament I've run in Portsmouth for the last five years or Something so. Something like it that. It might have been the fifth year this year that then that, didn't happen. That because it doesn't look like it's happening at all. The Rona. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, we ran that at 43 Rice in the old oh, edition. So, which would be 70. two years. Yes. Which would be 70 equivalent now. Yeah. Yeah doesn't quite work out that way. No, no, it was 42 rice, wasn't it? So it would be technically 84 rice now, but you'd run it around 70. Yes. Um, You used to have three tiers in the last edition. It was 35, 42, and 50. Yeah. So technically 35 would be 70 now. But yeah, yeah, anyway. So skipping back to your your first bullet point, um, what are you building it for? You've got those three SKUs, tournament, friendly, and demo. And, I mean, the difference between tournament and friendly is quite fluid and might not really be there, depending yeah, on... Yeah, well, it depends on who's playing. So for some people, uh, they will really enjoy the the fight of a, of a tournament game. Yeah. Some people might want to dial it back a little bit. Part of that might just be due to experience. You've done a demo, but now you're starting to play friendly games. You're not quite ready to be just cutthroat about it. Yeah. Well, now, to a certain extent, the difference is how much have you, like, how much do you have available and how much experience do you have? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. One of those things you don't tend to talk about very often is 
simply how many models do you own for a faction? Yeah. So that's your freedom and as well when it comes to list building. One of the advantages, of course, of using tabletop simulator with um, with everything that's going on is you have access to all the models in the game. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so that's a great resource for just trying stuff out. Um, so beyond what are you building the list for, like what's the seed of your list? Where's the idea yeah. coming from? And so we've got written down like theme. And obviously each faction tends to have a couple of different broad themes yeah. in it. Like we both play Ito a little bit and uh, you look at that and you've got snakes and non-snakes. Basically, yes. So... But then you can you can drill down further into like sub themes, I guess. She's high. Oh, I yeah. like doing magic. Exactly. Or oh, I just I like I like all the big samurai heavy or whatever. Mm. And I think it's probably you could you can argue that approaching it from I want to do this theme uh, might not be like a tournament list approach, though you can certainly end up with a tournament list from doing that. Uh, you might just find yourself doing a little bit more polishing yeah. uh, in order to get there. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it sort of depends on where do you input the whole aspect of how do I win. You can start with that, or you can add it in after you've started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose one way to go thematic is go, okay, look, I do, I do want to make a tournament list, um, but I want to restrict it to this theme, mm. uh, like that capital T theme for you know theme cards in the game. Yeah. Uh, so again, thinking about Ito, you go, I want to go snakes. Mm. So then you just basically put all the models that won't, go in all the, all the cards that won't go in in that thing yeah, to one, to one side. side and then go right where do I start um, I don't tend to go I do I do write lists from that point of view but they tend to come with what your next bullet point is which is uh, try out or play with a model a specific model mm. um, so I, I, I mean surprise surprise Reugen has just been re- been announced yeah um, I have some lists for that and it's a big 30 rise model, so the list starts with that model. You're very likely to be writing your list around the yeah. fact that he's in it, yeah. When he's taking up 30% of your points. Um, I, I, swear, I mean, we were talking about how do you move from 70 to 100. <laughs> that one. You could literally just drop him into a functioning 70 rice list and yes. he will get on and do his job. Yeah. But we'll probably do an episode about him at some point. Yes, definitely. <clears throat> uh, so, I, I quite often will go, oh, I, I like this model. Uh, what's he do? How can I compliment him uh, or her? Mm. And I will definitely look at what list, what theme uh, card they can be used with. Yes. And go from there. I, I do like coming up with the concepts, like you know, oh, how much archery can I fit into this list? Yeah, uh, and, and I mean the concept can be thematic. Like I want to use the the uh, Utah witches. Yeah. Or it can be. Mechanical. Oh, I really like X special attack or this combination of stuff. Or I want to put a lot of traps on the table. Yeah, literally. Whatever. I mean, when I did the Ito, I just want to take a bunch of archers thing. Yeah. That was certainly not the start of writing a tournament list. That was I'm going to try a dumb thing at the club tonight. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, it went as about as about as well as you can expect. So like, badly. Well, yeah. It was, sort of, it was sort of scary at first because someone was, I think it was James was like, "Well, you can hit me with quite a lot of things." I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm not going to do it more than once with most of these models, and then they yeah. are an overpriced melee model for sure. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, so that's like the heavy, heavily themed or concept. I suppose that's yeah, heavily themed. concepted. Yeah, because theme capital T is obviously it's, it's a thing something in the game. else. Yes. So yeah, that's like a concept list. 
uh, I quite like coming up with that stuff. I'm I am not a very good competitive player. Uh, I think I've pretty much come mid-table in every tournament mm. I've been to uh, in the last couple of years. And before that, definitely lower half. <laughs> Real low. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Yeah, I was also, I also thinking, I've done more, just generally done more events than you have probably. I used to do a lot. Oh, you mean just sort of generic yeah, events? Yeah, generically. Uh, for whatever game. Yeah. I also, like, Diamond of the South, been running it. So whilst yeah. I have played in a couple of them to make up the buy rounds, I'm organising rather than yeah, being highly competitive. So completely different thing. So yeah, uh, start with a, a theme, or start with uh, a concept, or even just start with a model. Uh, like you say, Roy, mm. Eugen's a really good way to uh, go. Yeah, how am I going to augment this giant? Well, I mean, dragon? the more expensive model you want to include past a certain point you sort of have to go like oh, okay well I've taken this now I need to make sure it, it is worth bringing mm. well you certainly don't want him to be doing all your scenario objective interactions <laughs> uh, that would be pretty bad poor, pretty poor use so okay so to, to move on to the next thing to consider uh, it is what rice value are you uh, are you aiming for uh, you're generally going to be talking about 70 or 100 these days um I think you can write a 70 rice list and then add 30 rice to it and it will be it will be a functional list. Yeah. Um, you probably want to... If, if you're actually going to be polishing for a tournament, you're probably going to be dropping a model out, you know, putting another model in. And... Yes. I mean, I would say for that, you need to be careful about making too many changes too fast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, swap one thing in, swap one thing out. But uh, actually, something we haven't bullet-pointed on here... <clears throat> is the iterating through lists. So we'll, we'll come to that at the end, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. If you're playing 70 rice, you're not putting Ryujin in, I would say. Like, you know, you're not putting a 30 rice model in, most likely. Unless, mm, unless you're no. just doing a dumb thing. Like, just yeah. a dumb, friendly game. Yeah. Um, you could play an old cami list. You could. You can't put, win. But... Yeah, I'm going to put <laughs> all the water cami in that I can, that I can do. Mm. Uh what would that be? Two cami of reflection, sapping uh, silt. Uh, and you have morning dew as well. And morning dew as well. So you can start with those. You can do two morning dew, which is 16. You can do 32 with the sapping silt. And then that takes you to 62 with Ryuji. And then you have five cami. <laughs> and then you can take a reflection and that takes you to 70. You've got six cami. Every model is insignificant. Mm. I'm actually not sure where Eugene is, but... I can't remember if he is or not. No. So, <laughs> anyway. Example, dumb list. Yes. <laughs> but it could be fun. Uh, so, yeah, like... Are you are, I think you are aiming for two different things with 70 and 100, because you, you can adapt your 70 to 100, but it's not going to be the most It's, it's not going to be the approach. same. Uh, do, so, do you think specialists gain more or less power at 70 versus 100? Because obviously, you need each model to do more at 70 because you're just a fewer of them. But equally, your opponent might just be much less likely to stop a specialist. I think at 70, your general generalist models, your multi-role models are more important. And your, like your support specialists, they need to be reliable ones. So there are some models in the game where you know, they're a bit of a gamble whether they're going to hit or not. Yeah. Those hit or miss models, I think, fit into a 100 rice easier than they do in a 70. Because in a 70, if they fail, that activation mm. is much bigger, 
percentage of your activations than, than it would be at 100 normally. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, that pretty much... Does that cover rice? Like, those big, powerful, hitty models, so anything from, like, around 20... Mm. Probably 23, but maybe even down to 21, up to 30, are a real big consideration for 70. Like, I, I, I would be loathe to run many models that are more than 20 rice in the 70 list because and we'll come to this in a bit activations matter a lot yeah depends on your faction obviously but yeah, yeah. oh yeah all of this is very subjective to um to factions um okay so what's the next bullet point themes i mean we sort of talked about it but you, you oh, should no, just, not... just just a side note you should run one Yes, we'll, yeah, well, we'll, themes, we'll get to themes. Next one is, you've written down, like, identify your superpower, or what's your competitive advantage. So I guess this comes, this is almost like, what's your mechanical concept? Sort of? Um, but it's like, factions do things. Yeah, so identify what your actual faction's strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, and I mean, to me, the real question is not so much that, actually. It's more like, with your faction, do you... Do you go all in on your advantages, or do you go like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing this thing, but this is a problem? Do you build to 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 your strength, or do you build to mitigate your weakness? Yeah, or or do you even try and like raise a strength up that isn't your faction's signature? Mm. So you can look at some faction. Okay, so Bushido's factions, more so than a lot of other games, I think, are very flexible. You can you can go okay. I'm going to go Ito. I'm going to go fast, hit hard. Poison's going to be a factor, and I'm just going to have to make sure that I get out of the way of things which are going to hurt me because I'm going to get hurt easily. Yes, that's Ito. Yeah, that's like a broad view of Ito. But you can you can go resilient Ito. Like that is a thing you can do, even though as a faction they're not particularly. Yes, resilient. you can definitely pick. You've got models like models. Satoshi uh, Yatsumata. You've got stuff that you can do where you can make yourself more resilient. There are stuff. There are things you can't do. Like you can't make Minamoto fast. Yeah. Um, the closest thing you can get to doing that is uh, sticking the bear in. Yeah. Uh, and it's not exactly speedy. Well, he's moving five. He's, he's pretty good. Um, yes, but on that, it will be one model. Yeah, your list won't be fast. So the, there are certainly things that you can't do um, broadly, but I think every faction is more than what seems initially to be there. You've definitely archetype. got options. Which is why the whole <clears throat> thing, do you play into one thing or do you try to make sure that you're not too weak against something else? Yeah, so for like, again, like I'm going to keep coming back to Ito because I know them uh, best as a faction even though I'm not playing very much at the moment. That uh, You could go, okay, poison, let's really push into poison. Mm. Or you could go, Shisai, I'm going to run loads of Shisai. Mm. Now, something we haven't talked about where we were talking about tournaments is you need... You don't know what you're going to face. Mm -hmm. So if you run an all Shisai list who like doing lots of opposed key tests yeah. and like putting out a load of poison on things, if you come up against a Death, death and Decay cult of Uriah list with lots of zombies, well, poison isn't going to be doing too great because they've all got tough. So your poison damage is reduced by one straight off the bat. But also all those opposed key tests, the uh, the Kairi aren't going to care because no. they're soulless and they're yeah. I was going to say that's automatically win that's it. the worst example of rock paper scissors in the game. It's opposed yeah. key test versus soulless. 
Yeah. And the fact that you can run completely soulless lists. Yeah. So, I don't know, is there anything more to say on, like, what, what do you maximise your strength? Do you maximise a minor strength or minimise weaknesses? I... No, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about strength specifically for factions later. Yeah, we'll get into individual factions. So, this sort of moves us into themes. Uh, I think new people coming to the game say, oh, what, what, what are themes about? Do I have to run a theme? Uh, the answer is, like, no, you don't need to run a theme. But you should, because the run-in themes are free. They have no real restrictions on them. No. So, if nothing else, run one of those. Why wouldn't you? I, know, I think for like your first couple of games, you know, pick a concept, pick models you like, play some games. If you're, if you're doing the starter test, for instance, you come with a theme that fits all the models you get. So, so run it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you aren't running a, a theme, you are giving up an advantage to your opponent if they're running a theme. Yes. But I can understand an argument for not running a theme early on. Or, yeah. um, or if you get a new model that doesn't fit into your starter set theme, then... Yeah. Whatever. Although I would say the <clears throat> other thing, of course, is, you know, is themes give you a place to start. Like, oh, what do, what do I get for this faction? Well, if you're playing a theme, you get stuff to place in that. Well, if we look at Cult of Your Eye as an example, they're the largest faction. They've got the yeah. most models, most profiles. That's a lot to look at when you first come to the it, game. That's a really good faction for going like, I'm yeah. going to play this theme for a bit, I'm only going to get stuff that works for that. For me personally, I would, when I come into a new game, I go aesthetic first and then like concept afterwards. I don't worry mechanically too much, but I know I'm not everyone. So like some people might come at it mechanically. Mm. Themes are a very good way of channeling your attentions early on. Yes. Um... So, run-in themes. Um, there are AKA, why do we love order for battle? <laughs> yeah. So, there are faction themes. Uh, I think every faction has at least three. three these days. Uh, let's not count Shiho right now, because they're not full. They're not actually released yet. There's just, That's just uh, a box. sub-faction yes. stuff released for them. Uh, so, most of them have at least... I think all of them have at least three themes. Uh, some of them considerably more than that. Uh, they are the one. They seem, on the face of it, really powerful when you first look at them. Most of them, because they are. Yeah. Um, they, 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 in exchange for restricting your choices, give you uh, benefits which push you down a certain thematic. Route. Yeah. But then they'll also do things like, okay, well, like the the monk, uh, the temple one, mm. which limits you to peasants. Yes. Well, peasants have quite a lot of issues with fear, for instance, because the uh, one key and a bunch of them are cowardly and stuff. So the theme does mechanically things to counteract that, making it actually playable. Yeah, so different themes will, will do essentially different things in the broad sense, where some of them might shore up your weaknesses in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them may also uh, add to your strengths already. So if you look at the Yes, look at that one. It gives you extra traps, I think. Yes, it does. Uh, so it, it does. It does both. It it counteracts one of your key weaknesses, and yeah. it gives you. Uh, it it amplifies one of your strengths as well. Yeah. If I think about the blessed list, it says, "Oh, you're probably going to be running a couple of Shisai." Yeah. So how about they all generated extra key right at the beginning of the yeah. game? So it's going, "Oh, well, that thing you're good at, you're going to be even better at it." But the Shisai list definitely, if you go all all the way down the Shisai route have three Shisai uh, and you could have more but three is realistically the, the most you want to run definitely ends up in rock paper scissors situations yes. so I think the faction themes seem 
initially the most obviously useful. Yes, they are also, compared to the two Ronian themes, they're easier to run. Yeah. Because they're very straightforward. You have these models, here are the benefits. They require Go. less depth of knowledge of your faction, I guess. And your opponent. I think that's actually mm. the key difference is that you, D will work just fine if you are not particularly up on what all of the factions in the game do. Yeah. Because the two Ronin themes gives you options immediately pre-game. Yeah, so there are three Ronin themes. Yes, Imperial uh, March. One of them is called the Imperial March, uh, and that basically makes a sort of pseudo-faction out of Imperial models in the game. Yes. It's very restrictive. Uh, you can run, there's essentially it's the three definitely, uh, sisters, the three princesses, yes. the Golden Sentinels, you can have two of those, Yukio Koshimori, the envoy, and also you can take Matsu uh, from the prefecture. Yes. And I think that is basically all the models available to yeah. you. Uh, so you're then going to be filling out with uh, special cards and so on. Uh, but So we're not really meaning that when we talk about running things. We're meaning order for battle and strategic deployment. Strategic deployment. And they're both variations on, on the same concept, concept. Really. Strategic deployment is the easiest one to understand. You have two lists. You pick which one you're playing. Yes. But those two lists kind <clears> of <throat> can't have themes. Yes. So you're running two... You, you, you compile two completely separate lists. Uh, non-unique models... Can't be shared. No, non-unique models are the ones which can be... Oh, yeah, non-unique, but unique models can't be in both. So yeah. there will be two quite different lists. So And the same faction as well. Again, for newcomers, quickly, you'll have non-unique and unique models. Mostly non-unique models will have multiple wound tracks on their card, uh, but you can also tell that they have a different coloured title bar at the top and they have just a regular rice bowl for their cost whereas unique characters have a gold rice bowl and a, 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 a green I think bar across yeah. the top also the generally named versus no named yes sometimes I think it can be difficult to spot what's a name if, if you're not too into like Japanese yeah. stuff or, or Bushido already then sometimes it can be hard to spot what, what would be definitely unique and what would be definitely non-unique Anyway, so, yeah, strategic deployment. You probably approach that by going, okay, uh, I want to... You want to do two different concepts for that, I think. Yeah, I think Because so. otherwise, why are you bothering? Yeah, or you might go, oh, this is my magic -y list, which is going to do some opposed stuff, and then this is my other list, which can handle fear quite well and just hit things. And obviously yeah. that's me thinking, like, oh, I might come up against... Cult. Cult. Um, yeah, <clears throat> this, this might also be an exam, uh, a great place for your archer list, for instance. This, this is the... I have an archer list, which... Works sometimes, mm. but sometimes it won't work, and I have this other list that does a completely different thing for those times. Yeah. That's for that, basically. So, of course, this is good for tournament play, because at the beginning of, 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 of sitting down opposite your opponent, you go, okay, what, are you, what have you got? Yeah. And if they've got the same theme, then, of course, you have to look at their two lists, and, and they have to look at yeah. your two lists. But then you have, like, five Sm minutes. It's much more like War Machine. Mm. We have five minutes to decide which list you're going to run. Yeah. And I think it's quite easy with strategic deployment to just go, well, I take the list which deals with that and I don't take the list which deals with that. Or I take the list which is going to do this. It might be scenario-based. Yeah. I'm not good at zones with this list, so I'll take the other one. Uh, that I think that's the most straightforward one to actually... Yes. I think it might be in some ways harder to write, but easier to decide which one you're going to use in a tournament. Yes. Because you've got five minutes to analyse your opponent's... And, and pick an option out of two. Analyse a scenario, and then you need to know both of your lists, what they are good at, what yes. their weaknesses are. The other one, which I prefer, 
uh, is ordered for battle, and it's basically the sideboard concept. Yes, I've played this a lot, actually. I played it at Grand Masters last year as well. Mm. I think it's very easy to argue that it's the best theme in the game, if you with, with some caveats. Oh, yeah. Again, you need to know your list really well, yeah. and, and your options that are in your sideboard. So you have a 30 rice sideboard. Uh, and you need to know what your opponent's doing, and you need to know how I'm going to switch these models in and out. Now, I think it's harder to write in some ways than the other one because you have to think well, what, what mathematically will work for swapping in and out yes and you also need to write it with like you need to think about okay well I have these models slash cards in here and I have these other options in the sideboard and you need to to a certain extent have specific use cases in mind for everything Yeah. because otherwise the whole swapping in and out at the beginning of the game becomes unmanageable yes I because it's 30 rice, I tend to do basically roughly divide it into. I want to have two, at least two optional swap-outs there. Yeah. And <clears throat> I actually really like Hirito, Drunken Master, who, which is an annoying one to recommend because he was a limited edition model and you can't get him at the moment. Yeah. However, I've been using him in the sideboard because he's got Fearless. Yeah. And, you know, he can do some damage in combat and he but, does some flanking yeah. stuff and he's interesting. But f being able to put... Bring off your sideboard a fearless model is super important. I think. Yeah, I mean there there are there are several rules like that where you might want to have access to it, but you don't necessarily need to. Mm. Fearless is one. Sixth sense is another one. Yeah. I think. Oh, you're fighting ninjas. A sixth sense model or two, or someone who can hand it out or detect. Yeah, those, yeah. that sort of stuff. Uh, again, coming off against lots of disguise. Well, you know, maybe you want to get one key two model in instead of that those two key one models and yeah. all of this sort of stuff. Now, it's worth noting that enhancements uh, and equipment enhancements are attached to a model when you write the list and they stay attached. You, yeah, you can't pretty... Oh, I have five rights worth of equipment sitting in the sideboard and I'll just hand it out as yeah. when I need it. That doesn't work. But you can do it with terrain and events. Yes. And that is really useful. Now, with certain factions like uh, Silver Moon... Not ninjas because their faction themes are you just should, so good. Ninjas are a faction, a faction where you always play a theme. Yeah, don't run the run in theme. Uh, so Silver Moon and Junk have a lot of really good special cards which uh, are in the either terrain or events yeah. uh, categories, and therefore are really good for uh, jiggling uh, around an order for battle yeah. list at the beginning of a game. Because a lot of them are, <clears throat> are quite dependent. Like you might have an anti-shooting event. Yeah. Well, if your opponent is not bringing significant shooting, you don't need it. Yeah. So take something else. Yeah. Uh, honourable mention goes to Rice Bale Barricades. Everyone has access to it. It's one rice. And uh, in terms of deciding where your opponent can move, unless they're Tengu, uh, really useful. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I... The, the, the maths juggling that I mentioned, the, running this dissension list that I talked about a few episodes back uh, what I found is I would have a cami in there but sometimes I don't want that cami and the cami is 8 rice I mean cam so, camis are good for this because they're all the same rice cost yes yeah, so yes I mean if you're running temple you could have a couple of cami in there and then you just swap them all out mm. you know with your sideboard what I'd say then is that they do have a theme where that's you can a theme just, that literally does that for one cami yeah uh, but what I found is like 8 doesn't go into 30 no. So not well. I what I tended to have was like okay, I'd have Hirito. He's fifteen, so I'd then have like a one rice event card that I would 
pair with him, like usually that would get swapped into the whole list. Yeah. And I could drop like a Hill Tribe Warrior and a Kami, who are both, I think, I think the Hill Tribe Warriors are eight. So that's 16 out, 16 in. Yeah. So again, having those like one rice special cards that are floating around can help make that maths work. work. Uh, but then, of course, it means you've got 16 rice there. So you've only got 14 rice left in the other half of your sideboard, which, uh, you know, whatever. Like, It's interesting because that's not how I build sideboards at all. No, okay. Um, I mean, partly because mostly I've been doing it for junk. So I have a bunch of cards in there. Yeah. And then I have a couple of models. And but because a significant portion of those points may be like five, eight, ten, right? So there might actually be cards for, mm. for specific things. Like you, you will be in there for quite targeted things. Like, oh, I'm, I need this here. And then I fill it up with some models that are interesting, but similarly does specific things. I use it much more as a tech option. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes sense with John. They've got... Like we said, they've got they've got some really useful stuff. And you have a bunch of specialist models as well, which oh. do specific things. So I use it much more as a tech option, and if I don't need that, I'm not having it. Yeah, so again, like Silver Moon, I think you can easily... You could probably fill up like half your sideboard just with <coughs> event cards and... Uh, oh yeah, easy. Yeah, and then, and then just you know have a couple of models uh, in the sideboard. So yeah, I, I really like that theme again it requires you having that time and that knowledge to just go okay i need i need to swap things in and out i think generally if you're running friendly games you know what your opponent's faction is now of course that doesn't define their play style no it, it just it closes the window down on what the play style could be yeah it's it's all of a battle is a much more tournament oriented theme i think than any yeah. of the others yes because if you're running in a theme, otherwise you need to you need to consider all the eventualities. Like this is not news to anyone who run who plays tournaments, but you need to you don't want you want to minimise the chance of you coming up against a hard counter. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, and uh, both these themes allow you to mitigate that. I don't actually think like there's not that many hard counters in Bushido. they I've gone all in on magic and I run into Dead of Decay. Is basically it. Yeah, I've got no way of dealing with fear. All my models are key one. Oh god, I've come up against cult. It's interesting how both the examples so far are cult. Uh, it's because they're pushing the envelope most, I think. Yeah, potentially. Interestingly, also cult. You know, they've got a lot of fear options. Yeah. Um, but that, as a faction, they've got so many different things going on. Thematically, yeah. I think they're really interesting. Um, I would like to say actually that I I don't actually think that lots of fear versus lots of key one is a hard counter. It seems that way initially, but having played that matchup multiple times, it's less problematic than you think. Well, again, talking about that Tengu list that uh, I spoke about in that episode, uh, I had one key two model and everything else was key one, and uh, I came up against James's cult when mm. he was running Wraith and a bunch of things which caused fear, and yeah. a bunch of things which didn't cause fear, and it. It wasn't a problem. I failed fear tests all the time, but because I had like, I think it was, was it nine models, I forget. Something like that, yeah. Uh, you know, one model fail, fails a fear test, well, that, that's fine. Wraith, Wraith deletes a model, okay. Oh, he's going to do that. Yeah, but now he's tired and I'm already on an objective in your deployment zone. Yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, so. I think we've I, rambled on about I that think, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shocker. If this is your first episode, 
get used to it. <laughs> Especially talking about Order for Battle. It's something we've returned to, and we basically do this every time. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Well, it also allows you to have your cake and eat it a little bit. Yeah. Like, you, you don't need to be quite so strict on on, on, on being on focusing what, what you're doing. Um, right, so, moving on. How does your list win games, is the bullet point we've got here. So, should we break down how you actually win a game first? Because there's three different ways to you do that. So, okay. Scenario-wise, I mean. So, over, overview of scenarios in Bushido. There are always three VPs available. Yeah. No more, no less. You that, don't necessarily earn all three between yeah. you over the course of a game. Which is different from almost any other game. Yes, and also dis- different from almost every other game. is If you wipe your opponent out... You don't win. You don't necessarily win. The game ends at the... In the at the end of the end phase of that turn, if your opponent had more VPs than you, he wins. Yeah. So don't do that if you're behind. No. Um, the, some people find that really weird coming from other games, and I do understand it, but what it means is it really refocuses Bushido away from being killing enemy models all the time. It means you really need to think about the scenario more. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. It also means that the straight-up killer option isn't automatically the best option. Yeah, it opens up the design space for, for other Yeah, you other can, you, you can have things. lots of models that don't do much in the way of damage output, and they can be perfectly acceptable, good options, because that's not your primary win condition. Yeah. So, I guess... Uh... Well, you have... You, scenarios basically have three different ways of giving you VPs. You have zones, which is areas on the board. You need to have the most models and the most rice in a zone to get the VP. Yeah, so... Well, not even necessarily no. get the VP. It might be scenario to, points, but... To claim, to claim the zone. To claim the zone. Um, zones are either four inches or eight inches in diameter, and you know different scenarios have different numbers of them and different locations. It's mostly three zones if it's four, two if it's eight. Yeah, mostly. Oh, there can't be three eights. No, but I think there might be two fours. But anyway, uh, there's a tournament pack coming out soon. So there's only three scenarios in the rulebook. Yeah. Uh, there is a tournament pack. Uh, you can download it from the Facebook page. I think you can find it on the website. Uh, though, good luck. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes. Also, like if you are on the Facebook group or in the Discord or anything, if you ask, oh, yeah, someone, someone will link help. it to you. Yeah. So, yeah, you, that... The, the first of the types of scenarios is essentially zones. Uh, then you've got scenario objectives. Yeah. Which is, as it sounds, you're going to have some piece of terrain, uh, usually three or six, but it may be not limited to that, Yeah. Uh, arranged on the board. And mm, there are a couple of different ways of interacting with them, but mostly it's about either praying at them or turning them to be aligned with you. I mean, effectively what it means is that you need to be in base contact with them and then spend an action doing something with it. Yes. That's that's sort of the key thing you need to think about from this building. Yes. Is that you need to get to, to the objective and you need to take actions to do it. And you can't do that if you are in an enemy zone of control. Yeah. What the action do will vary slightly from scenario to scenario, but that's less important from a list building point of view. Yeah, now... I suppose I skipped ahead to scenario objectives too quickly, so we'll nip back to zones in a second, but 
one of the things which is really important with scenario objectives is insignificant models and aloof models can't interact with the objectives. Yes, which is why the all camming list is terrible. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you don't want to be taking that into a scenario objective. Now, insignificant and aloof models still count for zones. Yeah, so it's just the, it's just the limit is you can't take scenario actions. Yeah. Now there are two layouts generally for scenario objectives. Three scenario objectives along the center line of the board, mm -hmm. and a sort of a circle of six scenario objectives dotted around the board. Yes. Now the first one does result in a sort of crush in the middle of the board. Yeah. Uh, where you are trying to dominate. You probably want to be committing to like two of those objectives. Yes, because generally what matters <coughs> is do you have more than your opponent? You don't need to have all three to score. You just need to have two out of the three and that'll yeah. score you the VP. So usually you will find that you know one player goes for the left one, one player goes for the his left one. And then, and then you fight over the middle. Yeah. Not always the case, but that you no, I've, that I've definitely had games where I've had the two flanks and yeah. my opponent had the middle, and that becomes quite an interesting game then. Yeah. So there's that one, but then the six scenario objective scenario that that brings up different things. So you need to think about the usually the objectives which are closest to your deployment zone will be worth more to your opponent than the ones closest to their deployment zone, yes. and vice versa. So you then need to think, well, I'm pushing up to try and get these high-value objectives near his deployment zone, but my I, I need to defend the ones that are near my deployment zone. Mm. So obviously high model count is one of the answers to this. Yes. Uh, obviously, if you then come up against low model count, probably your high model count is going to start getting deleted pretty easily. Mm, maybe. But you know, if you can leave two models behind to defend your scenario objectives... You can just be chucking all your dice into defense with them if they get into combat. If they get shot, well, that's, you know, you can use the scenario objectives as cover. Mm -hmm. But what you really want to be doing is just putting that your zone of control onto the model which is trying to get to those objectives, and you can just stop them doing it almost all the time. With two models, you can basically defend a single scenario objective until one of those models dies. Most of the time. Yeah. All of this comes with caveats oh, which yeah. we won't detail too much. So. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to think about how you defend those uh, those rear objectives. Sometimes you defend them by if you stopping. Up, you can you you don't even have to defend them by having people hang back. If you no. can stop your opponent high up on the table, then that's perfectly fine. Delete their fast models. If you come up against Minamoto, they're they're going to really be struggling to get to those uh, those rear three. Yeah. So those rear two objectives. At which point you can you may be able to head them off at the center line, but Minamoto will quite happily meet you on the battle line and club you around the head with a big stick. Yeah. So these are all the... You know, uh, this, this is nothing new to people who uh, play miniatures games, of course. So I think mean, that probably covers That's scenario objectives. No. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, objectives, yes. Yeah, because we, we, stuff you we want to think about, still need the third one. Well, let's hit, quickly skip back to zones. Okay. The reason being is we described it, but we didn't talk about what you want to think about. And with... You're looking at the, you're no, looking at no, the, no, no, the bullet points. No, 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 that's fine. Have I yeah, skipped? No. <clears throat> so uh, being able to manipulate your opponent's positioning is uh, one way. Yes. Push people out of the zone. It's worth pointing out, it's completely within. Yes, to, your to, entire to, to base count for zone, your entire base have to be in it. So there's a couple of different ways of manipulating that. 
Yeah, so you uh, be really big bases. Yeah, if you can stick your own big bases into a zone, that takes up a ton of real estate, and your opponent might just physically be unable to compete with you. Because of course, if you've got a fifty mil base, drawing an inch out from the front of that uh, in an arc, mm. that's you're dominating a lot of uh, space there in a four inch zone. Put a fifty mil base in the middle of it, and uh, do you have to deal with uh, by then? Do you have to deal with your fifty inch model? Okay, yeah. fifty mil because without getting into base contact or entering your zone of control, they're not in that. Zone. I mean, being in base contact is fine. Yeah, that's not that doesn't stop you, but you can you can place it in such a way that you can't fit a base mm-hmm. into the rest of the zone. Yeah. So I mean, good models for doing that, like in Jung, would be Tetsuso, uh, Yatsumata in Ito. You know, there's, every faction will probably have a model that can do that. Bazembo in, uh, hmm. or the other big eagle guy in, uh, in in Dissension. Like every faction should be able to put a big base in a zone. Yeah, I'm thinking as well now. Prefect will have trouble doing it. I don't think Prefect have a fifty. No, they got a forty in the dragon. Yeah. Does Temple um, have a fifty? Yeah, Temple's got the buffalo. Oh the yes, buffalo. yes, yes, they do. So the the, the um, you know there almost certainly is a way you can do it. Uh, I mean, the, the same theory applies with multiple smaller bases. Yep. If you can take up, like physically take up the real real estate, you have that zone. Your opponent's going to have to fight you and kill you, yeah, probably, to be able to contest the zone. Yeah, and you can get some models which buff your other models, of course. Mm. You know, welcome to war games. Uh, but some of them do it where if they're in base contact with uh, one of your models, they can they can do a buff. So I think uh, the camis are often like that. Yeah, camis of course. But I'm thinking really uh, with my Ito Ashigaru, they're cheap as uh, as a cami. But then you can take uh, oh, well, I can't remember his name. Oh, I'm not sure which one you're talking the about. Ito Gunso, who has a spear. He, oh yeah, gives benefits to models in base contact. There's yeah. uh, there's Hiru 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 Hiru. Oh my god! <laughs> For prefecture, yeah. he uh, he can buff other mm. Ashigaru in base contact with him. Yeah, there's, so, there's some models like that scattered around. They're very good for this kind of thing because you're going to end up clumped up in specific locations anyway. Yeah, it's worth noting that insignificant models do not exert influence over their zone of control. No. Uh, so you still count for the zone. Though. You count for being in the zone, but they can't use their zone of control to. Uh, prevent models moving around no so again insignificant models do have a negative when it comes to this scenario type but it's not as heavy as That's the objective one no. so yeah you can place a big models in a zone you can place lots of uh, smaller models on the aggressive edge of a zone yeah then you Special can get attacks. into maneuvering people around so yeah Temple are the best example probably for yeah. this. Uh, Silvermoon are really good as well with their Buto because yeah. you're going to get lots of push attack and throw attack. Some push defense and throw defense. Yeah. Uh, the I tell you, like push. Sorry, throw defense for this type of scenario is amazing. Uh, I don't know if Manu from Silvermoon still has it or if it's gone from like zero to a cost of one. Uh, I can't remember. But. Um. I mean, my favourite for this is actually Reach with Push Attack. Yeah. Because so, Reach means, oh, you if you go in on the on model with Reach, you gain the initiative. Mm-hmm. Bearing other things, of course. But And then you can put... It's risky, but you can then put all your dice in attack. And if you win the attack duel, which you possibly will, then you push the defender back automatically. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if you can if you can get uh, push defense, that's also really good. Because... And less risky than push attack. Yes, of course. And if you could somehow combine reach and push defense, which I'm sure you can, it means you might even get a cheeky wound in uh, at the same time. But honestly, it becomes about making sure you've got that zone. So you want to commit. If you've got push defense, chuck everything in defense. If you've got throw defense, um, yeah. you look at uh, ninjas, I think Ghost probably has it. Um, Manu does actually have throw defense as well. But it's throw defense one. one. Yeah. It used to be throw defense zero last edition. Pu- it's push defense zero. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Like you, you use the push defense if you are on the aggressive edge of the zone. Yeah. Uh, or you use throw if you uh, if, if you're a little bit into it, and even a push might not guarantee getting them out of the zone. You also have curious things like drag, drag defense, drag, drag defense. I think uh, you can pull someone out of a zone. Yeah, that you're not going to be in it either. No, that's more for if you if you need to get. Like I've used it because my pirates have on some of the grunts have yeah. habit and I'm used to for people who've gone in on a sonar already control are now contesting it but are standing at the edge yeah. because you can then go like and it's only an inch but it'll mean you're no longer completely in the zone yeah. and suddenly you no longer count yeah, so that's getting... more of a second line ability yeah uh, and I think like the other like the inverse of that is the not very often used force back attack yes so Force back attack is basically a push attack, but then you follow up an yeah. inch. Now, I don't think you have to follow up. You might have to follow up directly. I, can't, I think you do. I'm not actually going to read it out now because it doesn't matter too much. But essentially, you can use that for... Yeah, you, you, well, you're effectively just moving the combat an inch back. Yeah, but you can use this to push someone out of a zone that you were already in yeah. and they have encroached. But you can also use it to get into a zone yes. when that zone is aggressively defended. Yes, uh, so force back attack uh, really I mean, comes into its own on zone control. Yeah. All, all of the special move attacks and defenses are very important. Like sidestep defense or sidestep attack oh, is God. hilarious so, for zone control. So I, I don't. I think we talked a little bit about how incredible sidestep defense and attack are on the again that Tengu uh, the dissension discussion that we had uh, because you move until you are out of the zone of control. Yeah. So, I think there's been some stuff on the discard about a way of reading that, but uh, essentially, if, if you are, you sidestep defense model who is in a zone, you can quite easily put yourself in their rear yeah, arc and in the zone. Uh, and there are a couple of factions which might even be able to then activate again. But, nonetheless, yeah. that, that really threatens that zone yes it gives you it gives you quite a lot of maneuverability especially around zones yeah it's i mean you, you're unlikely to be the defender if you're in, in that situation because you're likely initiating it yeah it's very unlikely that you're just outside a zone and someone in the zone comes forward and tries to hit you um, that, yeah unless they are out of activations they have to do an activation but uh yeah yeah so this is one of the the key places where a lot of the more funky special attacks really become crucial. Yeah, real strong uh, factions for this. Definitely like Temple, Silvermoon, um, some of the ninjas. Ito pretty good with it because of all the sidestep defense. I mean, Prefecture have quite a lot as well. I know they're known for critical, a lot of the push, critical yeah. attack, but you have a lot of pushes. Yeah. 
it, it's it's quite widespread. It's just that oftentimes you don't use it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the final sort of archetype of uh, scenarios, which is the VIM, the very important model. So this generally you'll you'll well that's some restrictions. Yes, it has it, to be a unique model. Has to be a unique model now. Yeah. Uh, and can't be uh, an animal model. If yeah. you have flank, you lose flank. Yeah. So on. So you, you, know, it's all you lose disguise, things like that. Yes, that's a big one. So And in some of the scenarios, your opponent pick it. Yes. That's so quite three, important three to remember. basic ways. Your opponent can pick your VIM. Yeah. You can pick your VIM and keep it secret. And you can pick your VIM and it has to be made public from the start. Yes. So, obviously, if your opponent's picking a VIM... This doesn't really enter your list writing too much because it might. <clears throat> I had an un, I've had an unfortunate experience with that, where um, you were playing a scenario where my opponent was picking the Vim and I was running Temo. <laughs> so Vim generally you need to make it across the board to your opponent's table edge or something like that to score or uh, or and and or not uh, not take the first wounds, not take yeah. more wounds than your opponent, not die. Any Anyway, the point was, Temo is speed three with five wounds. He's a terrible Vim. He can get quicker when he's putting all his key into going quicker hey. because he's got uh, dash. Yes. And you can probably hide him behind large models quite easily. And he, Jung, he, obviously, you can, you can jump in the way because you've got lots of cheap models. Yes. You can jump in the way of ranged attacks. But... He's not who you want as your Vim. Oh, absolutely not, no. So when my opponent was like, oh yeah, I'm picking Temo, I was like, oh yeah, he was a terrible model to bring to this game. So you definitely want to think about who you might want to choose as your Vim, or who you would be okay with choosing as your Vim, depending on how your list is looking to this point. Uh, so I ran a, a list at a, a tournament of a couple of years ago where it was the the brothers with their servant yep. and then a bunch of Bakamona. And in that list I had no one I wanted to be a Vim. You don't want any of the brothers to be a Vim, or I didn't want any of the brothers to be a Vim because they are very slow with a sudden explosion of activity. Yeah. But you can't rely on them to move every turn or necessarily get to very far off the board. I mean yeah. their movement's four, but they only have one activation. So I I thought okay. I, what I will do is I'll take a sideboard because I'm already not able to run a faction theme because I'm taking Ronin generally yeah. you can't take Ronin in faction themes with some exceptions so what I did is I put Wacker in the sideboard yeah. because I looked at him and he was like okay he's an Oni so he's got like 10 wounds or something he's got tough one this is already feeling like a good Vim oh he's movement 5 wonderful oh he can throw a piece of impassable terrain at people so I can also channel the people who are likely yeah. to try and target him or block avenues to pr- approach to him or things like that. I think he even has push attack. Yeah, I think so. So he had a method of getting out of combat, a method of restricting charge lanes to him. He had speed and resilience. Yeah. Like, for me, I just thought he was an amazing Vim in that situation. Yeah. And I still had a few Bakamona that I could throw around putting in the way as well. Yeah. Uh, so, and this was before he got the rule where he can pick up other pieces of scenery and chuck them around as well. So... He made a really good yeah. option uh, as a Vim. Uh, otherwise, my list just didn't have a decent Vim yeah. in there. Obviously, if my opponent gets to pick the Vim, they're going to pick like a Bakamona. I'm just well, I can do. I did have two unique Bakamonas, yeah. so he, they could do. Yeah, but if you have that coming up, you can always go like, "Well, I'm going to drop these two Bakamonas out and bring Wacker." Yeah, 
Yeah, present. Yeah, there is an argument where you can present your opponent with, with just one choice, just one unique model. I suppose. Yeah, that's I've, I've made a list like that. Sure. Um, it wasn't great, but it was quite funny. I, I, look, I think you can play Bushido with all non-uniques and do just fine. Oh, you'll have a lot can. of models, probably. I mean, so, some factions are just not able to do that because you need enough generic models to actually be able to fill out a list. Yeah, for instance, Minamoto can't, uh, and Shiho, for what they are, they only have uniques at the moment. Yeah. So, <clears throat> unless the... I, think I mean, generally, it's going to be really hard to make 100 rice worth of one unique and the rest generic models. Yeah. That's a challenge. There we go. There's a concept for writing a list. Maybe I'll have a crack at that at some point. <laughs> um, okay, so your your choice for Vim, whether hidden or open, may be different as well, because if your if your Vim is open, yeah, I think resilience and speed are really important. I In think, that order, I think potentially, yeah, because your your opponent is going to know who it is, so, so you need to be able to weather the storm, and their resilience may not be on their card. Their resilience may be you have two other models in Who the list. Who can bodyguard yeah. that type or some sacrifice or whatever. Yes, ways of getting wounds healed onto them. Uh, you know, so maybe yeah. you accompany it with a model with uh, with heal or something. But you need to be thinking about the resilience there. Now, if you have a hidden vim, there's a really strong argument to not take the most obvious model. Yes, there's also an argument for doing gameplay move multiple models like the potentially the Vim yeah well if, if if I had a hidden Vim in this whacker situation maybe I would pick a brother because it's such a dumb choice that it's not the worst choice no. but it's certainly not the uh, obvious the quick, choice yeah certainly not the getting to the uh, the end opponent's end zone <laughs> uh, quickly answer so then you can just like whacker could just run for the end zone people oh god no like it's too obvious but what if it is him? Yes. So, so you I have to mind games around yes. that, and nothing gives me analysis paralysis like a hidden bin. But um, so there's a lot to be considered around vims. Uh, there's not much you can do if your opponent's picking a vim, other than no. try and restrict yeah. their choices. I mean, the other thing, just talking about, now there's, there's two different things you need to think about when it comes to speed, because it's speed and maneuverability, and they're not mm-hmm. the same thing. And some factions might go, well, I've got a a wind cami in there, oh. which will give plus two movement, I think, I think so. to a model in base contact. So that works really well with the Vim. And also mm. if it's your opponent picking the Vim, well, that you can move that Kami to to then yeah. work with that model. Yeah. It's not inherent to the model that you so, picked. For but yeah, but, but things like... Um, oh, what's it called when you ignore terrain? Well, I completely forgot now. Ask me that question while my mouth's full. Um, it's uh, Cloud Walk. Or... Uh, or yeah, light-footed. Light-footed, Jesus that's the word I'm doing for. <laughs> light-footed might be, like a four-speed light-footed model might be more useful than a speed five model. Yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Cloud Walk is obviously just amazing for this. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so is place effects. Y- oh, yeah. yeah. Place effects, like for this, <clears throat> is huge because it allows you to both gain extra speed but also just arbitrarily leave combat. Yeah, uh, this, is, this is one of the scenario types where... I mean, honestly, I think... I mean, place effects are always huge. Yeah. Dissension are a, are a faction who need to play the scenario more than almost any other faction because they are squishy, but their manoeuvrability is second to none. And being able to use that manoeuvrability with your Vim... Oh, yeah. 
uh, is incredible. And also they have access to the wind cami as well. So you can take a movement five Cloudwalk model and make it movement seven. <laughs> uh, Just in case you feel you need to. Yeah. And I mean, again, Temple can do that as well. Sure. Uh, no, their models will I'm, be moving I'm not... for boosting. But... Yeah. So, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm not sure you need to be able to move 21 inches in a turn. But... Oh, you know, then. Depends what turn. <laughs> um, yeah, I've certainly had Adam do some nasty stuff with Temple, uh, uh, Wind Cami, and Master Enos as a Vim. Yeah. That's potentially quite scary. Mm. Um it's worth pointing out there's a there's a small number of <coughs> models in the game who have uh, some abilities that stop your opponent in the track when the going to base to base. Um, like uh, Hibiki have a, a key feed he can use where he just ends a model's activation. Oh, Harley, yeah, Harley. of course. That's a really you really interesting ability on a BIM as well because you can then go like well if you do get cornered you can just go like sorry you don't get to attack me how about no yeah I think those are there's a there's few of those in the game but they they, they absolutely exist um, I think oh is, is Master Exa does, I think he does yeah. something around that you've got uh, oh is it Ryohobo no not Narahobo Naigubu, the one, the the Tengu model being carried aloft by small birds. Yes, uh, he's got some stuff that he can do around. I mean, you well, got uh, Akashi Oka. Yeah, I mean, she has a she. She's weird because she has to be the Vim. Yes, but she's a great Vim. So oh yeah, fine. she's amazing. But if it's hidden, then yes, she's not. She's, she's no, not you, you do give up on the whole. Oh, who is it? Well, it's her. She has to be yeah, the bit. This is a prefect model. For, yes, for anyone not aware. Um, but she has, and she has multiple ways of messing with both opposing models, but also blocking scenario actions. Mm. So, I guess the other side of the Vim scenario is: what do you do about your opponent's Vim? Yes. Range stuff is really good, especially if it's an open VIM. Yes, also because a lot of free, in some of the scenarios there are a VP available for being the first to wound your opponent's win. Yeah, um, having lots of having some guns helps that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and what that means is it then not only does it threaten your opponent's VIM, but it puts pressure on him to then attack your VIM first. Yes, which they may need to do through moving up through charging yeah. and if someone charges then they've overextended themselves almost by definition yeah uh, so you get some really interesting interesting dynamics there uh, it, it also helps to counter the whole two model moving as if the other vim because you can cover both of them without having to commit yep yep absolutely i'm a big fan of uh ito kaihime uh just having her 15 inch threat bubble and oh, yeah. leaving her till late in the turn just being like well look I can shoot anyone who enters this 15-inch bubble and I can put, what, two Poison 2 markers on them? Yeah. Actually, if I'm running the Blessed, I can put three Poison 2 markers on them. Yeah. And then in three turns, they are almost certainly dead, but they're probably dead sooner than that. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think ranged key, opposed uh, key tests and so on, uh, yeah. they can be really good ones that can cause damage. Uh, the other side of it is, uh, back to this... Savage Wave list with the brothers I took. Uh, I took Trapeng, who has Snare. So if I know who your Vim is, I oh, will you can do stop my them best. from move. Yep. 
do my best to slow them down every turn. I combine that with Zheng Fu, who can, with an opposed key test, reduce your movement stat by three. I yeah, think, that's I think, think, think it's by three. And then you follow that up with a snare. So you're oh taking God. movement test six or seven on, a, on, on, on one die. die. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I combine those two with, with Wacker, and that worked pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's another way to do it. Um, I mean, just sheer speed on your part will help because you yep. can then try and catch models. I she, mean, R- Wraith is the ultimate Bim killer in the game, I think. Yes, 100%. He can basically catch any model anywhere on the board at any given time. Because he can chew up his health in order to boost his movement. Because I think he boosts his movement for one key. He boosts everything for one. Yeah, and his movement's five, right? Yeah. So he could potentially have movement ten. It would cost him five health, which yeah. is half his health. But... And he could then charge if he really wanted to, which gives him a 20-inch range. Yeah. And he is intangible. He ignores every model. He'd have to be able to see the model because you have to target. Yes, but he's also aware. So he has a 360-degree line of sight. So it becomes tricky to... You you can do it. Wraith is horrifying if you've got Vim because he just... Because he's got intangible, he can be like, well, I'm in this melee at the moment. Are you the Vim? I've poked you. You've lost a wound. So I've got that VP if you are the Vim. Well, I'm now going to go after this other candidate, and I'm just going to leave base contact. Yeah, I'm just, just going to go like, away, and I don't care about you. Tell you what, because I'm huge, I'm just going to go through you <laughs> and attack the guy that you were defending. Yeah. Um, I think we... God, have we put out the episode on Wraith or not yet? I know we've got a think so. model focus episode in the can that we haven't put out yet. Oh, that might... But one of the ways oh, to deal sure we... with that is, uh, while Wraith can move through everyone... You can't he, stand on people. You can't stand on people. So if you can limit the place, uh, the space for him to place his base... Oh, you put it out in June. I did with It's cool. episode 22. Wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's obviously a good counter against Ryujin, who's coming up as well. But uh, Even better, because he's on an even bigger base. Yes. But, yeah, Wraith is the most terrifying Vim Hunter, I think, in the game. There are others who probably come close. Uh, Kahime is a good one. Kahime is a good one, but obviously if you've got bodyguard, if you've got cheap models to put in the way, just jump yeah. in the way of her shot. So here's another way that you can you can protect your Vim, which is just have lots of cheap models. Mm. Because in the end, unless it's Wraith, you, your opponent's going to have to shoot round them, uh, or they jump in the way of the shot. Uh, or they can just like tie up threatening models and then your bim can be free to move late in the turn yeah and you could have you could adopt some really annoying formation to stop race being able to even place his base yeah and he's almost certainly going to be able to get past that but he's going to have to spend key and wraith when he gets below half key is then uh scared your opponent gets scared of losing such an expensive model so yes and he's not boosting really at that point um or so much um other things other things you can do about your opponent or well, I mean, it's. I mean, this is actually the mo potentially the most kill focused one. Yeah. The, the the trick is work out which model it is you need to kill. Yes. And so, whilst we've talked about these three scenario archetypes, they frequently combined. They do. There are scenarios which are combinations of the two. Uh, sorry, of two of the three concepts. And I think actually the intro game might have all three concepts in there. I think so. that is one that does. <clears throat> yeah. So you're almost certainly going to have a game where you need to think about two of these things. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, but if you're building a list, you sort of need to think about all three. 100%, yes. 
the, the the trouble I have with Order for Battle sometimes is I go, okay, I've got I've got my list, which is how I want to run it, but then I've got these two things that I can swap in to mitigate threats. Mm. But if I swap in the guy who's going to deal with one particular threat, does that make me worse at zones? Yeah. So if I come up against uh, uh, this faction that or this list that I'm scared of mm. in a zone scenario, like. Is, is Order for Battle working for me? And Order for Battle's got to have some more weaknesses than it does just on the card. Yeah. So some emergent weaknesses make sense. Oh um, yeah, I know. It can, it, it's very hard to actually make a, a nice structured list of like, if a, if situation A, bring model X. Yeah. Like, that's just not how it works. And this is the same with strategic deployment. You can go, okay, well this is my anti-fear list. Well, is but, it good at every scenario? Yeah, it's an anti-fear like, list, but we're playing a, a zone game, which it's bad at. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure how. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, does that cover scenarios? I think so. Pretty much for now. I mean, and that's if essentially what you're trying to build towards in general. Mm. Like, those are the key things you need to think about, is the scenarios. Yeah, the fact that we've mentioned this probably like, as the penultimate consideration is a bit daft. But it's not where you start writing a list, but it's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, we've talked about how do you disrupt yeah. your opponent. So, so this, is, this is something you need to consider once you've written the list, and then it's sort of a checklist to check against, I think. Activation so, count. Yes. Activation count does matter in Bushido. If you have uh, fewer models than your opponent... You gain an act. You gain a pass token for each model. Yeah, which is crucial. Crucially, not quite as many actions as your opponent have. Yes. So you, whilst it mitigates the uh, activation advantage of your opponent, they will still have an activation advantage because that pass token is one activation, whereas most models will have two activations. So, um, how many? So how many activations do you need? Do you think? Okay. Well. Model count is something we haven't talked about, and I think that's probably an easier question to answer to open this up. Okay. Uh, yeah. I like to aim for seven models in 100 rice. Yes. I think that's reasonable. I think six is acceptable. Uh, eight is nice as well. <clears throat> you can get down to four if you're running ninjas. Yeah. But then ninjas also double their uh, pass token count. Yes. I mean, I made a... This morning, in response to something, I, I made a, a four-list junk mod... A four-model junk list. <laughs> Um, which was interesting. I think it would be bad, but well, you can. And well, John used a faction known for actually bringing a bunch of models. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're in, a, in a, they have some similarities with Savage Wave in terms of their like model size distribution. Yeah, and model cost distribution. But yeah, so activations are. Super important. Uh, if, if you're able to... So there's a way you can run the Prefecture if you go down the, the Hair Clan route, which isn't an explicitly exposed theme or anything or concept at the moment, but it basically revolves around maximising your pass tokens. Yes. Generating pass tokens during a turn. So yep. you're, what you're doing... It, I suppose some people initially, when they start playing Bushido, pass tokens don't seem to make sense because you want to do your thing. Yeah, but the trouble is, you'll do all your things, and then your opponent gets free reign, and then you've done all that. Opponent will continue doing his thing, yeah. and he'll do it to models who are now all exhausted. So, uh, Andy Palmer, friend of the show, uh, one of the guys involved in the rules writing 
process. He loves his hair clan. He loves. It's just... quite a terrifying list to play against. It doesn't seem too bad, and then you actually play it, and then you're like, oh, would you please stop doing things now? Stop making me make decisions whilst you have. You a... just sit there. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that's the trouble. One of the things I love about Bushido is the alternating activations where, you know, I can't just execute my machine like I would in War Machine. Like, mm. uh, you have to constantly be adapting to what's happening. Yeah. And this basically goes, no, how about you make all these commitments before I get to make any commitments? So in turn one, amazing. Turn two, very useful. Uh, I think it then becomes harder to maximise the the uh, efficacy of pass tokens from turn three onwards. I'm sure Andy would have some answers to how to do this, and maybe we'll get him on to talk about how he does it at some point. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, the value of pass tokens are not consistent. No. But you can... Well, and the crucial thing about pass tokens, of course, is that you don't have to use them before you can activate. If you need to go early, you can just go early. Yeah. You basically... It, it's the epitome of choosing your moment. Mm. And that's why it's so good for the ninjas to to have that because let's say they have six pass tokens because they've got a three model deficit. Yeah, that means that they can essentially wait until all your models are most of the way exhausted mm. um, before, well, at least half of them anyway, before they even make a move. Yeah, and ninjas hitting your exhausted models is not something you want. No, it's also why sometimes. Otherwise useless but super cheap models are really valuable. I like bringing the horseshoe crab yes. to jump. It's a one rise model. It doesn't really do anything. It's a base. It's basically a moving piece of terrain. Pretty much. It has one moon. Has armor three. It just sits there and, and then you hit it. And then, yeah, and then you yeah yeah something like that. And then it goes away once you're wounded. But I use it just to go like oh, I'm activating the horseshoe crab. It trundle over here. I haven't actually done anything, but it's now you go again. So this actually segues into another thing. But like Ito snakes, they you can do that. If you take one snake, you can do a similar thing. Yeah. If you take one of Koji's pack monkeys, you yeah. can do the same thing. If you take one plague rat, which is maybe at the moment the only real use for a plague rat, you can do the same thing. Yeah. The thing is, what's worth noting is that if you have group, what used to be called group activation, but for the sake of brevity and fitting everything on the cards, it's group, they all activate together. So... You may think you're getting three models, that means you're getting six activations. You're not. You're probably, you're most of the time, you're getting two activations out of that. Your opponent is still getting a pass token per, per model, model. Yes. not per two activations you can put yeah. out. So, I mean, Adam likes to run Koji and one monkey. Yeah. Because it gives minimal uh, activation advantage to your opponent. Oh, so, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> well, yeah, minimal model Mod deficit yes. to your opponent. And still gives you the sixth sense of where stuff yes. that they do. So sometimes those multi-wound track uh, cards... It's, it's specifically group, for the group. Yeah. Can it doesn't apply to other things. No. Um, but yeah, I think seven is a good number to probably aim for. Of models, so that's 14, yeah. 14 activations. Yes, I mean, and if you can generate past tokens... That you can you can look at it and go like I have maybe you only have ten activations, but if you can automatically generate four pass tokens, mm. you add seven anyway. And it's in, it's worth noting that like you can outnumber your opponent, and you, you if you're prefecture generate pass tokens, which are essentially neutralizing your opponent's pass tokens. Yes. So I mean, 
past tokens is almost a concept you can go down with, like Andy yeah. did. Um, ninjas is just like a nice bonus to whatever you're getting on with. Anyway. He sort of needed. Oh, 100%. Yeah, the, the, the game engine struggles when uh, you get down to just four models. It also struggles a little bit when you get quite high. Yeah, if you get but, above but, 10, it's But you can't struggling. really push that as far as you have been able to do in the past. I think, the, I think the most models you can run in this game is probably 13, and the fewest you can run is 4. That's, I think that's in 100 rice, that's probably true. Uh, sounds about right. <clears throat> You're probably looking to be in the middle. Most, fa- yeah. most factions will end up somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Six is fine. It's a little low, but it's not a problem. If, five, five is the point where it starts being like, ooh. Yeah, at that point you really want to be focusing on deleting a model as soon as possible to redress the balance. Yeah. And of course, if you look at Tengu, Dissension, uh, Bazembu with his... He's basically a flying bolt thrower. He's pretty good at doing that. Yeah. I mean, last time I played him, he deleted the three models by turn three. <laughs> One of them was Tetsuso. <laughs> Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, that, uh, Tetsuzu, uh, Irata, and... I can't remember who the last one was. One of the Kaisoku, just randomly. But, yeah, those were all dead by turn three. Which was not helpful. No, that's probably you possibly tied up by that point. Just... Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... I think I mean, that really covers like activation count and pass tokens. Yes. Um, push to the extremes if you want, but I'd say if you're just starting out Aim in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So the next thing is special cards. Now, when I started playing Bushido in uh, second edition, special cards were written into the rulebook but didn't exist. And so you often find yourself in a situation where you're making a 50 rice list, which was the same as 100 now, Yeah. where you would find yourself one or two rice. And that was nothing to do with it. And you couldn't do anything with it. So it actually changed the way you're writing lists to be like, well, that's, that's not very efficient. I need to be 50 rice. Which, which is <clears throat> running because the 50 rice list might actually be worse than the 49 rice list, depending <laughs> on the indeed, com- yeah. mo- model combination. Whereas now you have uh, a load of special cards in the game going from anywhere but from like one rice, well, actually from zero rice, yeah. in a couple of situations. Minus, minus, up to, up there's like minus seven. points on some of the Yeah, cards. true, true. Uh, I think ninjas have a seven point one, don't uh, they? Or is it four? Uh, I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so special cards, you, they, that could be the seed of a list. You yeah. might be like this. This card, I love the way that I that I can use this. How can I capitalize on that? And then that's where your concept develops. I have several special cards that I basically put into the list first when I make a jungle list. Sure. You might not stay in the list. Well, again, you go back to Silver Moon. You go, okay. Well, you know what's almost always useful? Dark Secrets hmm. and Bought Loyalty. Yeah. You want to make your opponent cry when they thought they were going to do a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But equally, special cards you can use just as filler. Uh, again, honourable mention always goes to Rice Bell Barricades. You've yeah. got one Rice Spare, you don't know what to do with it. Rice Bell Barricade. Good. Good choice. Um, and, but it also allows you to, with some of the enhancements and some of the equipments, allows you to potentially amplify a model significantly. Well, if we look at Makamono with, I think it's... The, is it the Idol of the Deep or the Totem Pole? I can't remember. Uh, it reduces the cost of uh, Bakemonos who are in base contact with it, reduces the cost of their key feats by mm. one. So all of a sudden, Darkness, you're getting a new Bakemono on key five, not key six, yeah. which becomes important. Um, Boosting is also a key feat. Yep. Uh, did I say Darkness just now? I meant yes. summoning a Bakemono. Darkness becomes, I think Darkness is normally on 
four or five right, uh, keys, so it goes down by mm. one. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, Temple can take a Garinto for one rice, yep. and that reduces the cost of things. No, that hands out a key yep. to a model within six inches every turn. Yeah. Uh, worth noting that Dissension can take a Garinto as well. It does the same thing. Uh, well, actually, no, it doesn't quite do the same thing. It's two rice, but you can uh, give that key to Kami if you want to. Mm. So the Dissension one heals Kami, whereas the Temple one doesn't. But the Temple one is cheaper. Yeah. So there's yeah, all there's, this stuff. Yeah, but like also like there's a bunch of equipment. Like There's a whole range of weaponry available to various yeah. factions that suddenly gives models completely new options. And I would say that not all special cards are equal. One of the one of the challenges you have when you're writing a game is pleasing multiple people. Yeah. So I mean, you look at when people when you they're writing Blood Bowl, they need to write a game which works well for one-off games, yeah. a game which works well for long-form league play, and, and a tournament. game which works well for for tournaments. Uh, it it can't do all three, basically, not perfectly. Yeah. Um, and so. I think you have the same thing with special cards in Bushido. Some of them are just fun. Yeah. Bit silly, bit daft. Uh, and then you have the highly competitive ones as well. Uh, it's, you know, and, and they're very situational, a lot of them as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the nature of them. Hmm. I was just going to find what is, what is the name of that card, which is one of my favourite, purely for the name. Oh, events. Do I look something up on the internet? Yes, I know. <laughs> We've got to do it at least one at some oh, episode. Oh, it's because I'm in the wrong one. It's a cult card. Um, oh. Yes, you know which one I'm talking about. Well, it's not... Oh, God. I, I think I do, but I can't Random act of unkindness. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. It's... Like, it's just funny. It Well, it's a test... <sighs> How far do you want to push your luck, and how far do you want to push your opponent pushing their luck? And it's, I mean, it's okay. Oh, wait, I'm thinking about sharing is killing. Which yes, goes back and forth. Yes, this one is just like you pick the pick a model or state, and then your opponent pick the other one. Yeah, and then that gets applied. So it's fine. Hmm. Um, it's niche, I think. Yeah, but it's just the random act of unkindness is hilarious to me. Name. So. I quite like including it in a cult list just because I like it. <laughs> um, does that cover special cards in your opinion? I well, think, like, yes. Although the question is how many points do you spend on it? What faction are you running? What are you doing with it? It's, so yes. again, like Jung, you're probably running more special cards than other factions. Uh, Silverman, you're definitely running I would more than others. For most factions, I would hesitate to spend more than five. Yeah. So someone asked this question actually, you know, how much do you set aside for special cards? My answer is I don't. Yeah. I write my list and the the list comes from its seed, which might be a concept, it might be a model I like, it might be a special card which interacts in a certain way. And I write the list and then I go, okay, do I need to fill gaps? Yeah. And then I might go, okay, can I swap that? 11 rice model for a 10 rice model which does roughly the same thing or a 9 rice model looking at like mm. Zenkibo and Zephyr Guard for yeah, instance yeah. in order to get me a 2 rice special card Can't which that's... does more than this 1 rice special yeah. card so I do I use a lot of I jiggle yeah I, I will frequently put some special cards in at the beginning yeah sure I go like I mean continue with the John example I 
you start most lists by putting two bounties in. Bounty is incredible. It's almost an auto-include. Because sure. it hands out that sentence. It's always useful. I mean, it's hilarious if your opponent have animals because you can't get rid of it. And it's especially useful if you're using it uh, in a Vim scenario, an open Vim scenario. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've dead sent since you're Vim. It's quite funny against Cammy. Yes. Um, because do you have to give away their wounds to get rid of it? Well, basically, all but... In fact, all released minor Cammy would die if they tried to get rid of a death, yes. of a death sentence. Well. Can you... So you can death sentence uh, Cammy. Okay. There's no restriction it's, on that. It's just a model. Which okay. we checked it when I played against uh, James Cott because of dead sentence rate. <laughs> I mean, he just gets rid of it. People ask for answers to Yat Smarter. Well, death sentence is a pretty good one. Yes, which we harped on extensively in that episode, actually. Not an animal, but doesn't hold key, yeah. so can't... Uh, yeah, can't, can't, can't generate the three <clears throat> key needed to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so I start with those, but I might not keep both of them. Like, as an Ito player... Uh, I they're very much an afterthought. There's a couple of times when they're not. I mean, if you've got someone who's doing range attacks, Hote's coin is always a good choice. Yes, because it's the trouble with range attacks is you're going to do one and then you're going to twiddle your thumbs until you can do it again because um, you're going to reload and or so you so you you need that one range attack to actually work. Yeah, and you need to maximise it. Also the the damage headroom for ranged attacks is lower lower than in melee. Uh, because so, of the target yes, number. so having access to the reroll is very useful because it, it really helps to maximise the few range attacks you'll get. Yeah, and actually with Ito, Ito, uh, Ito uh, Uwabami's Tooth, uh, which is one of the newer cards, mm -hmm. I think allows you to reroll a damage roll once. Yeah. I think that's what it does. Yeah. And then you discard the card. That's fantastic for range attacks. Um, so. so I combine that sometimes with uh, Kaihime mm. or with another archer. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I mean, for me, special cards tends to be a combination of, I'll put some in first, mm -hmm. probably, or have them in mind, so I effectively reserve the points for them, yeah. and then I'll get to the end and see. And then some of the ones I put in, initially, might have to leave if I need some models. They're not automatically there, but I want them. So this, this probably, like, catapults us into that iterative process. Now, uh, Art did a good episode on his YouTube channel, Gits of Palooza, yeah. about how he goes about writing, testing, iterating on yes. a list that he's going to take to a tournament. Obviously, a friendly thing, you just kind of write it and you, you go on. You might come away with takeaways, and that actually might be a stepping stone into a tournament list, or just, you know, oh, I've just discovered something really wacky I can do, so let's yeah. do that for another friendly game. But what I tend to do is I start with that seed, whatever the concept is... I, I write my list, I look at it and I go, okay, what are its weaknesses? What is redundant? And sometimes it requires me not being precious about my initial idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you basically play it, preferably multiple times, but it sort of depends on how many well, games you get. this is before I even play it, but yes, you play it, see how it does, yeah. iterate. And then you go like, well, that didn't quite work the way I wanted to. I, I've quite often started off being like, this model is the linchpin to this concept. And then and end then, up with a list without that model. Yes, but it still does that concept. Yeah. But just weirdly, I've ended up without the model that, that inspired it. Yes. So there's a certain degree of like, if you're going for a, a really effective tournament list, you have to not be precious. Yes. If you're going for friendly games, whatever makes you happy, just get on with it. Have fun. Yeah. Play a game. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm having that, because I'm, I'm poking around with the 
reunion lists. Mm. And obviously, I've, I've been tested it a bit, so I've played some lists with it before. Um, but you write up the list for it. And because it's a 30 rise model, sometimes you go like, oh, well, actually, if I drop it... Um, which, when the whole point was making a list with that, yeah. it's, it sort of changes the nature of the list radically, but the list might actually be better. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. But some, sometimes, like, your attachment to the concept is stronger than your desire to have a uh, quite, quite an incredibly better, better yeah. or powerful list, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think my next faction is probably Dissension. I just, I'm kind of, I, I like my Ito maneuverability. Yeah. What if I turn that up to 11? Yeah. Uh, sort of good. But actually, my latest uh, fascination is the tribesmen. Yeah. Uh, so I, I might I might play around with them for reasons which I am not yeah. free to disclose at this point, uh, I think. I mean, that's sort of a little bit similar to how I played Jung for, for a reasonable length of time, actually, with all of the freaks. So, like, <laughs> all of the crab men, the shark men, the butos, all of the non-human stuff. Mm. And currently, I've pivoted to playing... Minotaur and just standard pirates. Yeah. Just bodies and one guy who is going to murder you with an anchor. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, those are obviously it's the same faction, but the two lists, the two list concepts are radically different. And what I kind, kind of like is that you can, you can go, uh, you can have that one model which is just going to put out a lot of damage and it doesn't necessarily have to be Minotaur, it could be Tetsuso, it could be Lua. Hmm. Um, if you want lots of grunts in Jung, it's basically it has to be the uh, the, the sailors, yeah. the, the kaizoku. Um, there's, there's nothing else that really fits the bill other than the odd kami. Yeah, I mean you can bring six of those. Yeah, true. And three different bases of crabs. Yeah, one of them's what seven rice, I think. Uh, one, four, and seven. Yeah. Me, yeah. So, so I think that's the the, cra- the crab swarm is seven, isn't it? Yes. So if if you can't quite fit that kaizoku in, yeah, crab swarm's okay. Yeah, durable. Durable's always good. Yeah. Oh, God, if you can get durable on a Vim, by the way. <laughs> amazing. Although, arguably, for a couple of scenarios, tough is better. If you can get tough two on a Vim, yeah. then you suffering the first wound and your opponent getting that VP... Really hard. Considerably less likely. Really hard all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, which ironically means that uh, some of the Oni are actually quite good Vims, as we talked about before. Hmm. Absolutely. Because he doesn't seem like the typical Vim type. Aggressive is a problem if you're a Vim. Yes. Definitely. If you get down to being exhausted and outnumbered and someone hits you and you've got one dice. And it has to be an attack dice. You're yeah. just like, oh, oh, this was bad. Yeah. I mean, by that point, you've already messed up, eh? Probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, put slaves or bakemono in the way. Yeah. Or kaihai. The dogs. So I don't know. Is that is that us wrapped up? I, I kind of feel like it is. Yeah, I mean, without going into specifics, this is just sort of like our general thoughts about things to think about when you play build a list. Yeah. I mean, it really does come back to the whole Bushido's scenario focused game. Start with a concept of doing whatever you want, but you need to think about how how am I going to win? Yeah. How am I going to do the thing I'm going to do? Yeah. Because the thing you might want to do with the list might not actually score you points. Yeah. And that that can be fine. Like, oh, I want to do lots of critical strike in my prefecture list. That's cool. You could build a list that does that. 
But what does the list do aside from that to actually get you points? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way that would feed into you eventually getting scenario and, 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 and then is victory points is, of course, like more activation advantage and I guess sort of uh, if, if table any, space yeah. ownership. Like, yeah. oh, the word is going out of my head, but just being able to dominate space through yeah. the deletion of enemy models. But even then, like, critical strike is reasonably unreliable. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I think yeah, it's, but I, it might just be a thing you want to do because it, it sounds like it'll be fun. Yeah. So you can start with going like, oh, I want to do critical strike, so I'm going to take this prefecture list. Okay, that, that's fine. You're doing lots of critical strikes now. I, what, what do you do when you run a Vim? Hmm. Like, those are two different questions, but you can start with one and then have to consider the other. Yeah, I mean, a Vim with critical strike is... Uh, sorry, critical attack now yes. is, um, a, is a deterrent to, to people. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I'm gonna be loath to put my big expensive hitter into him because you might just randomly kill over and die, which I'm not keen on. That's the thing. If if you've got critical critical attack, uh, and you just end up putting one dice into attack, yeah, and you happen to get success level zero, well, you could still kill the model in a hit. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose uh, there is. There are scenarios beyond the ones that we are thinking about when we're talking on, on this episode. Uh, like we said, there's three uh, scenarios in the main rulebook, then you've got the tournament pack coming out. Now, there is a separate, uh, I think it's called Honbashu format. Yes. Which is essentially, uh, it's, it's only an hour for the whole game, and this is killing. Except it's not just how many models, how much rice can you kill. It is, you both declare a vim. I think I think it must be open vim. Yes, it has to be. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but you both pick it's a vim. It's also only fifty rice, isn't it? Oh, is it? I think so. Because I don't know. I got, I got the proof reading copy through. Uh, I think originally at least I don't know. It might have changed because it's also played on the smaller board, isn't it? Oh, okay. I'm going to have to look this up. But or am I'm, I thinking about a completely different alternate format? No, I think this was the original idea. Was it, it was a smaller board, less and, and fewer rice, but. Basically, you have to kill your opponent's Vim with your Vim. Yeah. If you don't... If, if no one kills the enemy Vim with their Vim... Then you both it's lose. A, well, you both lose, yeah. It's not a draw, you both lose. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, if if, uh, if you kill the enemy Vim with not your Vim, you don't score the, uh, the game. So it's an interesting format. Um, I'm just going to quickly load it up, which is why I'm facing away from the microphone. So, right, we've looked it up. Uh, it's 100 rice. Yeah. Played in 60 minutes on a one foot by one foot board. Yeah. With 30 seconds, 60 seconds to choose your, uh, so you to have, do your stuff? you have 30 seconds to declare what your model will do. Yeah. You'd like to pick a model which is going to activate and declare what it is, is going to do. Uh, so it's designed to be quick cutthroat game. Uh, you must have at least one eligible model to be a VIM. It's, it's open VIM, of course, yeah. logically. Uh, yeah, so that looks fun, and that uh, frantic is the word you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and of course that throws almost everything that we've said out the window because all of a sudden your vim needs to be both able to put damage out, able to take damage, and um, maneuverable. Maneuverability is is a real bonus. Um, if you can buff them with other models, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be good. If you can debuff your enemy vim, yeah, great. If you can wear down the enemy vim, yeah, wonderful. But that's risky. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Like in in savage ways, the temptation is to go oni, but of course, aggressive could be the end of you. 
I mean, I know what I'd do for John. You do Dr. Ryu, then you make uh, Ryuji and Tireless, and then you bring two water cami? God. (laughs) You just broke it. (laughs) So, to be clear, what would be happening there is Ryujin is there for Tireless, uh, so you get to decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it, pretty much. Yeah. Is he intangible? No. No? No, he's got Cloud Walk. Oh, he's got Cloud Walk. Okay. Um... Yeah, and then got, you can Cloud Walk, Fierce Six, Cami, so he's immune to state, basically. Got Six Sense, and he's to- Soulless and Tough too. Okay. And then With you... ten wounds, effectively, that he regenerates three off because it's key. And then you defend, you, you, you feed him the... Uh, Water Cami the... when he actually takes damage. Cami of the, mount, of, of the Morning Dew. Morning Dew, yes. So, some factions are going to have really uh, obvious choices for a straightforward solution. Like, that. that is one of them. If I think about Ito... It's harder. Kenzo. Kenzo's a pretty good choice. It's, it's an odd, it's a seem, a brave man. Seems choice. like the obvious choice, but <clears throat> wow. That's, would, a, that's the gambling choice. Yeah, I mean, I'd almost be tempted to go into taking... Lords. Top, I'd take Lords Satoshi. Of yeah. Lords of Vizu, uh, maybe, but I might go Satoshi and a couple of Shisai. Yeah. And then just push a load of key into Satoshi to allow him to uh, like buff yeah. or to boost his his dice so that he can use it to defend. Um, I th- he also can do a load of parry. I stuff. think both. I think Temple Prefecture and the Ninjas are actually potentially very good at this because they all run a bunch of super solos. Yeah, I mean Ninjas, you look at either Rin or Katsumi, don't you? Probably as your Yeah. Uh, although you could be really annoying with uh, Shizuga. Ghost is a twat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, being soulless is a big advantage for this because it means that a bunch of their... Oh, I'm going to do an opposed key test on you. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting one. But we should probably try out the format before we speculate too much. Yeah, yeah, that. definitely. No, I actually look forward to trying that out. Maybe that's a good way for us to play... Um, on Table. tabletop simulator because yeah. it should be quick we might actually finish a game so possible uh, for anyone listening we do also have a uh, a YouTube channel which we haven't invested as much time in as I thought we might initially uh, but we will do more stuff on there and one of the things we did recently uh, well that's a, the second thing we've done for Bushido first one was uh, a Q&A a live Q&A with uh, the the team the creative team so that's worth going and, yeah. and, and, and watching the rest of us is mostly us being incompetent at various games. Uh, various video games, so, you know, skip that content. Um, and then uh, we've just done a uh, us looking at Tabletop Simulator, basically going in cold. So if you want to watch for a couple of hours two people who don't know what they're doing on a piece of software and not finishing a, a war game, uh, that's really that, that that's, you. what you, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> that's what you're going to get. Uh, so our plan is to do another episode of that, essentially, but with us not playing, us looking at how commentary might work for a live event. Uh, And that then ties into, we are organising, we're going to run a World Cup event through Tabletop Simulator. Yes. Uh, Well, yeah, we'll run that through Tabletop Simulator. Uh, There'll be, hopefully it's going to be 32 teams, uh, 32 teams, 32 players. Uh, there will be a small fee to cover like a bunch of things. Uh, I want to give some freebies away to people who get through to the final stage and yeah. stuff like that. So there's also some graphics to be made and 
yeah, time, time uh, taken in, away from big jobs. Time investment. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, there will be a group stage where people will play each other once, and then the top two will go through to the final stage, go through quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, yes. and a third place playoff. Yeah. Those games of the finals will be commentated either by Robot Dice Explosion or the Bushido Cast podcast, and hopefully with guests. So I would like if if we have a game where you know someone's running Prefecture, uh, maybe we get Andy along to talk about you know his insight into Prefecture and so on. So it'll usually be like you, like us two, yeah. and a third person who hopefully has insight into one of the factions. Yes. Um, certainly if they can uh, shore up our lack of knowledge, that'd be really good. Um, I don't know how the Bushido cast guys want to do it. Um, that's totally up to them. Uh, we'll split the duties basically with them. If anyone else wants to do any sort of coverage or content around it, they're absolutely welcome to. Um, yes. But the finals, we're trying to like make sure that we do it in a certain way. I don't mind people commentating the finals while we're doing it. No, no. Just, you know, whatever. I think that's us for today. Uh, yeah, isn't I it? think so. Right, well, thanks for joining yeah. us, and we'll ramble at you later. Soon. Yeah. Bye-bye. Find Robot Dice Explosion at robotdiceexplosion.com, at rde underscore podcast at Twitter, and Robot Dice Explosion on Facebook.